Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm buying a Torcel. Also, <laughs> And I'm going to kick you in the balls. I'm Irina. And this is our review of 10 Things I Hate About You, also known as the Nick and Irina story. <laughs> Starring Julia Stiles, Heath Ledger, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Larissa Olenek, Larry Miller, Andrew Keegan, David Crumholtz, Susan May Pratt, and Allison Janney. Directed by Gil Junker, released in 1999 on a $16 million budget, grossed $53.5 million at the box office. Part of that late 1990s, early 2000s wave of, quote, modern adaptations of William Shakespeare's work, usually for teenagers. This one based on The Taming of the Shrew. Uh, but some other notable ones in that category. You actually go back to 1985 for just one of the guys. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. They remade it in 2006 with uh, called She's the Man with Amanda Bynes before she went crazy. Romeo plus Juliet. I think we've all suffered through that. Leo and and um, what's her name from Homeland? What's her name? Claire Danes. Claire Danes. With, with Leo and Claire Danes. Get Over It in 2001, Midsummer Night's Dream. And then O oh, in 2001, which is an Othello remake. And that actually features uh, Andrew Keegan and Julia Stiles from this movie. So the, the point is, is they were doing a lot of these for a long time. And it's because a lot of Shakespeare stuff ended up in public domain for a little while. And so that's pay for the source material. And this marks a momentous occasion. Irina and Nick, this is now officially by far the oldest thing we have ever reviewed in terms of adaptation. This thing is almost 500 years old at this point, <laughs> the story at least of Taming of the Shrew. But since we're not 500 years old, any memories at all of 10 Things I Hate About You when it came out in theaters? Nick? Actually, I saw this in the movie theater. Um, oh. This is, yeah, this is during the stage where we would just go see everything Our kind of our stuff in middle school was, or high school was anytime we had a half day, we'd get dropped off at the movie theater and we'd spend the entire day there from like noon to like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. So we'd end up seeing like a ton of movies. Like this one I think was like mixed with a, uh, I'd have to go take a look, but this was like part of like something that we saw where we saw a bunch of different ones. So um, it's been on the TV and stuff like that before. And I knew it was a show based on a Shakespeare uh, play. I haven't seen the Shakespeare play or, or read it, but I, I knew about it. But yeah, it's a movie that I've, this is probably the second time I've actually sat through it. I've seen, it. it's kind of one of these movies that's on like Disney family or something like that. Every once in a while that maybe it's like, I kind of turn on it for about 30 seconds and then click off. So <laughs> that's my background with it. My background is completely different. So in 1999, I was a sophomore in high school, which kind of, you know, shows you the separation between Nick and I, but we'll get to your story too. And then that'll be fun. Um, and I probably overwatched this movie um, because um a, I was a dick in high school. B, never had a boyfriend. So, you know, she kind of, this movie resonated with me a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, it was one of those that I would rent because that's when you rented movies and would watch at least three or four times and then send it back. So 
I got to start back with my taming of the true story. All right. So in sixth grade, I'm in a school that like the elementary, middle school and the high school are basically separated by like two buildings. Right. And the high school always did these big theater productions. And one year they were doing taming of the shrew. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Because a girl that was in my class, her sister, her older sister, Sarah, was playing cat or Katarina. And I thought, okay, I. I know, Sarah, this will be cool, you know, so I'm going to this play with all my friends because they used to put the production on for like the middle school to basically you know, work out all the kinks. Irina, you know how this goes in theater. Absolutely. <laughs> and so we're sitting at like assembly all jazzed about not being in class. Right. And I'm sitting next to like two of my good friends, Mary, Sarah's younger sister sitting near me. We're buds and we're just, you know, yucking it up watching this. And it's, it's funny. They're doing a good job. And then the guy and I only remember his first name, Trey. There's part in Taming of the Shrew where that character picks up the shrew and throws her over his shoulder and runs <laughs> down the aisle. Well, dude decided to do that, but he didn't realize he was running up a hill and her dress like had started to move in the back. So Sarah is not a big girl. Okay. She's short and stuff, but you know, there, there was, she was much more of a woman at 17 than a lot of other people. Let's say it like that. And Trey maybe pulled 135 pounds soaking wet point guard on the basketball team, skinny white boy. He throws this girl up and he's like, he's all got it. And he gets about six steps down the aisle and power bombs her into the concrete floor. Oh. Knocks her cold. We're all losing our minds. Like, Oh gosh, you know, we're trying to, you know, Mary's losing her mind. We're all like, what's going on? So poor girl got a concussion out of it. That guy felt horrible about it for weeks. I just remember that more than anything. I remember having to watch the second half of the play because that happens right at the end of the first act at, on like video cassette because obviously they weren't going to continue the performance at that point. So that was my memory of Taming of the Shrew. <laughs> Fast forward to 1999 when you two high schoolers, I'm about to graduate from college, you know, old man now, and I get dragged to this with a bunch of friends because one of them says, oh, it's about Taming of the Shrew. Because I've told everybody this story about you know, the theater mishap, right? And so they're like, you got to go see this. I'm like, only if Julia Stiles gets powerbombed. Because I did not like her. I've never liked her in anything. It's nothing personal. I just don't care for her whole thing. Uh, but I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't know anybody else in this movie. You know, I didn't watch Third Rock, so I, I didn't care who Joseph Gordon-Levitt was. I think I knew David Krumholtz from all like the billions of different little wormy roles he had played. But I didn't know anybody else in the movie. So I go to see this with a bunch of friends. In college, in theaters, on like a Friday night, dateless, like a huge loser. And I'm sitting and I sit down and my ex-girlfriend, unbeknownst to me at the time, walks in with new boyfriend that she had dumped me for three seats down. So I suffer through oh, this movie snap. and that at the same time. <laughs> now, the only thing that saved it for me was that at the time I was really into the music scene that was happening in the late 1990s and a lot of this soundtrack like hit sweet spots for me. Like I, I think I listened to half of these bands anyway. I was into Simisonic. I liked Save Ferris. I love Sister Hazel. I've seen him in concert. You know, I was, I was into that. The Cardigans. I mean, I, I liked all of that stuff. So that kind of saved it for me. Otherwise I would have like the worst memories of seeing this movie. And then Nick, like you, I think I've seen this just on television here and there, probably watched it with the wife once somewhere in, you know, all of our years of marriage, but it had been a long time since I came back to this one and we came up with this because we're doing these eh, back to school, if you will, kind of, kind of movies or movies about school or something. And there's some different ones we could have picked, but I threw this one out and you two guys are down for it. So I said, okay, we'll give 10 things I hate about you another shot. But yeah, that's my big, my big story about 10 things I hate about you. So I'm going to throw in a couple others just because I, I, 
I didn't say it before, but um, there's also a musical adaptation of uh, this play. And Kiss Me Kate, even though it's a play within a play, so it's like people performing the Taming of the Shrew and then there's like a whole backstory. Um, it's one of my favorite musicals and one that I did when I was like 12, you know, standing in the audience. You know, so um, all of the things that you're talking about, the fireman's carry of the shrew, you know, <laughs> it, it, fabulous notes for me. And I do remember when I sat back and watched this when I was, you know, 16, 17, that um, I remembered my love for that musical too and kind of dove into that again. So all those little things. Worth noting that the writers of this, Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith, went on to write Legally Blonde, among other things. But that that has come up something that's had a life of its own and you know remade itself multiple times. So um, I didn't know that until this watching and looking that up. And I thought, well, that, that actually explains a lot about Legally Blonde and a lot about the humor of this film and sort of what mm-hmm. we're trying. But I think before we get any further into it, though, Irina... You've been given the task of summarizing the plot of 10 Things I Hate About You. So please take it away. Tell us what this movie's all about. Oh, thank you, Jay. Welcome to Padua High School, your typical urban suburban high school in Portland, Oregon. Smarties, skids, preppies, granolas, loners, lovers, the in and out crowd, rub sleep out of their eyes and head for the main building. Enters Miss Stratford, 18 pretty, but trying hard not to be. In typical clothing of the 90s, not looking so hot, balances a cup of coffee and a backpack as she climbs out of her battered 75 Dodge Dart. Catherine, cat for short, is beautiful, smart, and quite abrasive to most of her fellow teens, meaning she doesn't attract many boys. Not much unlike my own high school career. Uh, We meet new kid Cameron James and Michael, your typical poindexter, who appears to know all of the ins and outs of the school and proceeds to give Cameron a full tour and a brief rundown on all the clicks at Padua. Cameron is quickly distracted from conversation after sighting cat sister Bianca, who airily talks with her friends about her sketchers and Prada backpack. A stark juxtaposition to Kat's rejection of all men, her younger sister has boys falling at her feet and begging for the chance to be the first to sweep her off her feet, and she can't wait for the opportunity to let them. Unfortunately for Bianca, house rules say that she can't date until Kat goes on a date as well, to which Bianca exclaims, but it's not fair, she's a mutant, daddy, and strings are pulled to set the poor damsel up for romance. Cameron and Michael see their opening and enlist Joey Donner's help and bankroll to go to Patrick, another newcomer to Padua, into taking out Kat so Cameron can have a shot at Bianca, even though Joey thinks it's so he can take out Bianca. Kat soon crosses paths with handsome new arrival Patrick Verona, who finds her abrasive intellect attractive despite pursuing her after agreeing to payment from Joey, a deal he later regrets. They all go to a party and Bianca sees Joey for the transparent douchebag he is and ends up seeing Cameron for the nice guy he is after he drives her home and calls her out on her vapid character and she kisses him. Kat gets hammered after seeing Bianca with Joey and parties so hard, complete with table dancing and embarrassing the crap out of her sister, that Patrick ends up taking care of her like a true gentleman. Annoyed by Patrick coming to her rescue and denying her the kiss she attempts, Kat blows him off until Patrick scores a prom date with her after crooning his way across the football field with a marching band playing back up to Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, and then she helps him sneak out of detention. They go on a date, which turns romantic, but Kat becomes suspicious and angry when Patrick insists that she go with him to the prom, an event she is adamantly against. Bianca is irritated that Cameron hasn't asked her to the prom, and so a accepts Joey's invitation, but Walter, Kat, and Bianca's father won't allow it unless Kat goes too. 
Kat confesses to Bianca that she dated Joey when they were freshmen and succumbing to peer pressure, had sex with him. Afterwards, she regretted it and Joey dumped her. So she vowed to never do anything just because everyone else was doing it. Bianca insists that she can make her own choices. So Kat agrees to go to the prom with Patrick. And Bianca decides to go with Cameron instead of Joey. All is going well at the prom until Bianca learns that Joey planned to have sex with her that night. Angry that Bianca has spurned him for Cameron, Joey reveals his arrangement with Patrick, which causes Kat to leave heartbroken. Joey then punches Cameron, yay, but is in turn beat up by Bianca for having hurt her, Kat, and Cameron. Bianca and Cameron share another kiss. Bianca and Cameron continue to date, and Kat channels her feelings into a sonnet assignment for her English class. In the reading of it to the class, Kat seemingly unloads all of the things about Patrick that she hates, the biggest of which was that he didn't call her again after the prom, and that she really doesn't hate him at all. Patrick, moved by this, and having already revealed his feelings for Kat, buys her a guitar to make up for the slight and our couple shares a kiss while letters to cleo sings i want you to want me and credits roll hold on let me catch some oxygen all right so there's a lot in that and a lot to unpack because it's a pretty long play too and i think that's one of the things that i know nick you said you you weren't familiar with taming of this tree but uh, Irene, you can back me up on this taming the tree is kind of a long production and so a rather can- long play I'll confess that um, me and Shakespeare, we are not best buddies, so I've never read it. So you're the only one who knows how long it is. Okay, well, I can tell you it's rather long, especially when you powerbomb Katarina through the floor in the middle of it. So just to get into it here, though, there was so much of this that in the first few minutes I had forgotten. And the thing that I, I really clicked into was this kind of replayed trope that you get in high school movies where the new guy comes in and there's always somebody there to give him the grand tour and walk you through everything. And uh, Nick, I know we've talked about that in previous movies. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, it is kind of a high school movie trope. I mean, I think the movie that I've seen probably the most that does follow that would be a movie like uh, Mean Girls where mm-hmm. Lindsay Lohan shows up and her two friends end up you know basically doing the whole walk through kind of the cliff notes version of what the school is and everything like that but yeah I mean it's it's you know basically what it is is the new kid is basically the the surrogate for the audience where he's going to be coming in you're going to relate to him and you're going to get kind of a breakdown of everything that's going to be going around um, in that school or a place that they're going to be going to. I think the thing that I liked about it, too, and again, I'm not a huge fan of his, but I thought Joseph Gordon-Levitt was really likable as a presence on screen. And even as kind of wormy and nerdy as he is, Michael, the David Krumholtz character, there's just something about this guy that you, you kind of want to like. Because you see, he's trying so damn hard to be cool, and he's anything but, even to the point that he makes some crack about the AV club, and Gamer's like, yeah, what a bunch of losers, right? And then they bump into his buddies, they're like, hey, are you coming to the meeting? He's like, I don't, who are you? You know, and he walks away from them. I, I did like that. I liked the little thing. My, my kind of go-to reference for introduce me to the high school uh, is Buffy, of course, because when she shows up at, at the at Sunnydale on the first season, Cordelia has to give her the big tour. And uh, though it works out a little differently, it's still kind of the same same energy going on there. So I dug it, though. I liked Cameron, and I liked him and Michael and their friendship because usually in a movie like this, at some point, like the two buddies are going to get at each other. But they, they stay friends the whole time, and they have – I don't know. They, they, it's interesting how Michael is very invested in making sure Cameron gets what he wants, which is after he tries to talk him out of it, which is basically Bianca. Yeah, I do love the whole camaraderie between these two characters, especially when they kind of hatch a plan for, for Cameron. Um, I do have to say, 
I've watched way too many Joseph Gordon-Levitt movies in the past few weeks. Um, two days before watching this, I sat down and watched Angels in the Outfield. Another one that's my favorite is um, The River Runs Through It. I love all of them. So I haven't seen him in a film that I didn't like him in. And he's, you know, he's a great actor. We watched Inception a couple weeks ago, too. So um, it was kind of fun to go back to see him as a kid and then see him portray this teen character. But um, Michael might be my favorite character in this entire movie. Um, I th There's something about him that I just love. I don't know whether it's because he's kind of the smart guy with all the answers, uh, or maybe it's the fact that he crashes headfirst into the ground when he's riding that, that, I don't even think it's a motorcycle. It's like a modified dirt bike or something. Oh yeah, and then gets up and like, you know, the crowd cheers for him. I've had moments like that where I did something really stupid in high school and turned it into a cheer moment. So I, I can feel that. That that's that works <laughs> pretty good. No, I don't know. I, there's just something about about their chemistry that's just really good and it's fun. And what I really like about Michael is that he got kicked out of the NBA club and he's got his own like subplot to get back at those guys. And I, I don't know. I, Nick, it just kind of reminded me of something you would do to get back at somebody. I think. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> so we really though we've talked about the two two under guys here but we our two main characters really are bianca and cat the stratford sisters they're the, the big part of the play and and you know i've said it before i i i don't know what it is about julia styles um i i don't know that it's typecasting but she has played this role so many times in her career kind of the over it girl that's too cool for the room and stuff what i thought was funny about this is that her and larissa olenek are only like two months apart but she's playing two or three years older than her and i that was neat how they were able to pull that off because i mean they definitely look the same age well i i gotta say larissa always has this um youthful appearance to her um and I don't, is she even doing anything anymore? We, you know, we were talking about whose career is still active, Julia Stiles or, uh, or Larissa, but uh, I haven't seen her in anything lately. Have you? No. But, but um, you know, because she is able to portray that youthful style, um, I think that's why it works with these two characters. Now I have the absolute opposite reaction to Julia Stiles that you do. I love her. Um, I enjoy watching her. I find her funny. Um, she has these really smart moments. Um, both intellectually and smart ass moments. Um, but <laughs> I felt that they were, um, that they did an equal performance here. They balanced each other out. Yeah, totally. I mean, the, the younger sister, I mean, she totally has that girl next door quality to her that, you know, she just looks like that. I remember seeing her on Nickelodeon years ago, like when I was a kid, the uh, secret <laughs> world of Alex Mack. I don't know if any of you guys remember that show where she was caught in a science experiment and can turn into like basically like a puddle of like mercury and go around like, like sewage pipes and stuff. It's kind of a cute little show, but yeah, jam with you. I, I can't stand Julia styles. I just, she has that like, like she's just like the constant contrarian is what she comes off to me as like, no matter, I mean, she plays that in this movie where it's like, no matter what, she's going to have a problem with it. You know what I mean? If like you hold the door open for her, she's going to hate you for it. If you don't hold the door open for her, she's going to hate you for it. It's like, that's how she always comes across as just someone who's going to be habitually unhappy. Yeah. I'm going to put a comment in there because I think I'm the only one of us who can get away with saying it. She is the quintessential modern day feminist. Don't open the door for me. I'm going to do everything by myself, which is actually one of the things about her that annoys me in this character. But you know, I, I still like Julia Stiles, but as this character, it's those little things that kind of 
so let's talk about why she's that way though. The way they explained it in the movie is she once dated the ultra hot guy, Joey. We'll get to him in a minute. And they had sex. Cause like you said, Irina, it was the thing to do. And mm, you know, she didn't like it. She wouldn't do it anymore. And then he got like really pissed off about it and dumped her. And from then on, she just decided I'm going to not do what other people like. And I'm going to run headlong in the other direction of it, even to recruit another friend later on to that's part of that, that they have conversation about later and that's pretty true to the taming of the true part i didn't really play with the sex part as much but like that she had been you know katarina had been spurned and that's why she was you know kind of hateful towards everybody but there's more to it in the play too and i don't know i just wanted to ask y'all this do you feel like that her angst is earned because of that story because when they lay that out it's, it's for you to finally feel like oh now i understand her but i've always thought like i get it that's a lousy thing but you don't have to base your entire life on that like her whole premise is i'm not going to do the things the way people want to so i'm going to purposely go in the opposite direction isn't that the same thing you think, you know what I mean? And her whole thing with the guy too is like, I, I the guy, the guy's a douchebag. I mean, he's mm-hmm. just like a quintessential douchebag. I'm sure, you know, we're going to get a little uh, R rated here, but if you guys ever seen like American history acts, like, you know, he's probably the type of guy that's like watching himself in the mirror. You know what I yes. mean? When he's doing the deed. And yeah, I mean, it's like, when you look at her, it's like, yeah, I'm like, you're mad because the guy's a douchebag. It's like, you, you knew he was, I mean, how could you not know this guy was? I mean, that, that's on you. So yeah, I mean, it's, I, I I mean, I get it what they're trying to do here, showing that she's like a woman scorned and everything, and now she's gonna be a complete, you know, like I said, complete contrarian to that whole, you know, teenager, you know, teeny bopper lifestyle that everybody else is doing, like going to the parties and having a good time, and she's gonna be the one that goes home and just kind of broods about it. But I mean, it, it works for the context of this movie. I'm not expecting anything deep. I mean, this is the type of movie I'd put like next to like Can't Hardly Wait or something like that. One of these like late nineties, like, you know teeny bopper movies so i mean it's 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 useful for this movie so it kind of gives you a little bit of a background on why she is the way she is i actually the character i enjoyed most is their father i thought he was pretty hilarious Oh yeah, Larry Miller. He actually uh, turned up on the television show version of this too. He's always funny. I he's got to be the most whacked out obstetrician father I've ever met. The whole like putting on the fake oh, the pregnancy put on the belly, belly. Thing, put on the belly. Yeah, I I loved all of that. I thought the humor of that was great. And to hear tell of it from David Crumholtz, everybody in this cast really got along with each other, had a good time together, and they all loved Larry because he was just a big prankster. He was just a big hit too. So. I see why you, why you dig him. He's he's very funny. I I dig his humor. Well, it's not only that, but it just kind of reminds me of like I'm not going to say like my parents were like that, but it was always like worst case scenario with everything. You know what I mean? It's like oh, I'm going to go out with yeah. my friends. It's like oh, you better wear your seatbelt and make sure your friends wear the seatbelt because if they get into a car accident, they're going to sue us and we're going to lose everything. And I'm just like. <laughs> I, I, I don't even want to go out now. I'm like, I'm yeah. going to go, I'm going to go upstairs and put a CD on. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, I think I'll just stay at home or I'll, I'll be alone. All this pressure. I just wanted to go see a movie, man. Right. That's, I'm telling you, I, I feel it though. Yes. I had the parents that said the same kind of stuff, but it was out of love obviously, but yeah, it was, sometimes it was a little neurotic and a little strange. So I'll give you this. When I watched this movie in, in high school, I did not have any feelings towards the father. I was like, God, he's annoying. What the heck is he doing? Ah, can he just go away? Now that I am a, a mother of a 12-year-old daughter, I'm going, God, he got it. He figured that shit out. That's exactly what I'm going to do to my kid. And, and, and I enjoyed watching it now that I have kids, uh, especially having a daughter. I was like, 
Oh, yeah. Oh, all right. Now I've got ideas. So are you doing the whole thing where your daughter can't date until your son does? Because that's going to get strange. Oh, no. That would be really, really, really mean. <laughs> Okay, I wanted to ask either of y'all, did either of y'all have friends that were in that situation? I did in high school. I remember friends that like you couldn't date until you graduated or until your older sibling did or something. My brother and I were five years apart, so there was no way that was ever going to you know, work in our lives. But I had other friends that they were much closer together in age and they, they had house rules like that. No, my, my, house, my house rules weren't like that. To me, it was mostly, I mean, I let's just say like what it is. I mean, I was the oldest boy, so... I mean, my rules were a lot different than my sister. <laughs> I mean, I think that's <laughs> kind of goes without saying a lot of times. So, I mean, for me, it was like, because mostly all my friends were guys. I never had any type of experience like this. Mostly our whole thing was don't knock anybody up. Don't be stupid. <laughs> that was normally our, you know, <laughs> our talks, our talks when we were like 17, 18. It's like, <laughs> if you're going to do something, go to the pharmacy and pick up, you know what? So it, it's, it's funny that, that, you know, we have the the polar opposite here because my parents were like, are you going to go on a date? Are you going to go to prom? And then I remember having to, like, I remember looking at some sophomore when I was a junior and saying, so all of your friends are going to prom. Um, do you want to be able to go to prom so that you can hang out with them? And he was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, yeah, but my parents were always saying, so Irina, are you ever going to date? And my brother was seven years younger than me. So, com you know, absolute different story. But, but I do have to laugh at my husband in relationship in relation to some of the stuff that goes on in this movie. He always says the hardest thing about being a parent is if you're a parent of a boy, you only have to worry about one dick. If you are a parent of a daughter, you have to worry about every dick in the world. <laughs> I guess that's Larry's whole thing too, is that that it? worried about them. So Absolutely. I, no, you know I, I, I heard that's I heard that saying too growing up about my you know, when it came to me and my sister, it was like, Yeah, I only gotta worry about him knocking someone up. I gotta worry about everybody else trying to knock her up. So it's like It's so true. <laughs> and but for that I'm thankful I have a boy. So. <laughs> ah, please rub it in. But that's the funny part about this. And I think that's some of the best humor is when he's trying to have the talk with him. And I think Bianca really throws it at him one time when he's going like, I delivered twins of a 15 year old girl today. Do you know what she told me? And he just, she lays off some line like I'm a crack whore that should have told my boyfriend. That was a <laughs> and he's like, yeah, kind of. But also I wish I'd listened to my father. And they're like, even, even cat is like, no, she didn't, you know, like they, <laughs> they know, you know, that that's just his line. But he, again, he's doing it out of a place of genuine concern for them. But I love that the whole setup is like, Oh, I like this. This is a fun rule because I know the older daughter hates the world. So she's <laughs> never going to date. So you, you don't date when she does. And that's you don't know anybody thing. like that. Right. <laughs> Little does he realize that good old Cameron is so, smitten with Bianca that he has gone to the trouble of learning French on his own which I think they added in because Joseph Gordon-Levitt actually speaks fluent French and has his most of his life and and can still do it today so he he knew that so they added that little bit in for him and he's like I'm gonna learn French to teach this girl French and tutor her in it so and that's when she lays on him like hey I can't date because my 
goofy sister can't date or won't date either. So if you can hook her up with somebody, we can make this happen, right? And really, the poor camera doesn't realize that he's getting scammed by her completely because she doesn't want to date him. She wants to go out with hot boy Joey. And we got to talk about Joey. We've called him a douchebag. All of us have it at one time or another on this show or whatever. What about this guy makes him particularly douchebagable? It's the hair. And the, weird, and, the, and, and, the, and the way that it's like he's got he's got like the helmet hair, you know what I mean, with all the grease in there. And then he's cut, then he drives the uh, guy. What, what does he have? He's got like the old Camaro and then he's got to wear a white. He's got to wear like, the, you know, the tank top, you know, undershirt, you know, where when we were kids, we called them wife beaters and everything. So it's like just the entire look that he has is just like he's just a scumbag. I just I, I hate the guy. I, 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 I want to beat him up. Like even right now, if I met that guy, I'd probably punch him because I just don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just his look, though. It's the way that, you know, he walks down the hall and winks at himself in the mirror in his locker. You know, Nick, you brought up American History X in the mirror like this. This a-hole does it. He looks himself right in the mirror and gives himself a good old good old wink. The best thing is he's holding up the two pictures of his modeling, you know, headshots or whatever. And one's Which look exactly the same. One's in the black t-shirt. Which one do you like better? And poor Bianca is trying to like play along and do the whole, I like that one. It's pensive. It's like, oh, I was going for something else. And I'm like, what a, what an asshole. Like I, I, the pretty boy model. And I love how when, when he's being introduced to Cameron in the, in the walkthrough, he's like, he's a model. And Cameron's like, what? And he's like, just regional stuff. He did a tube sock ad. ad. Yeah. He's got a tube sock. And then he drops a line later about that's for the tube socks. And that's how Bianca finally realizes like this guy is completely like into himself. He looks at himself more than I do in the mirror. Right. Is at the party when and he is totally paying her no mind at all. And he keeps like doing poses by beer cans for her and stuff. And I'm like, man, I, I knew people like that in high school. I'm with you, Nick. I'm like, I just waited for him to get punched out. I am so blessed that we did not in rural Vermont have anybody like that in school. <laughs> there was not a single one of them because all of those people were out shoveling the, the driveway or working on the farm or some crap like that so um I, I actually oh funny story there was there we had one person who was similar to this dated him for about a week and i was like man you have absolutely no brain and peace out and he was like you're breaking up with me i was like yes yes i am but we've got so many different characters in here. Can we talk for one second about Ms. Perky, the guidance counselor? <laughs> the romance novelist, Allison Janney. That is not a romance novel. That is a smut novel, man. <laughs> that is one of those that like Fabio does the pictures for, though. I don't even know if Fabio would stoop so low, but her entire uh, engagement with the students is basically don't be a douchebag anymore. No, I love that she's always trying to come up with euf euphemisms for, you know, dicks. Like, that's her whole... Bratwurst. Yeah. And <laughs> what was it? I think Kat gives her the, the quivering member, Reginald's quivering no, no, member. No, 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 no. It's what is... Uh, it's um, another word for engorged. And she yeah. says, what, turgid? Or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's like... I, I mean, I remember my high school guidance counselors and like the thought of them <laughs> doing anything creative is one thing in my mind because they were not good at their jobs. But also the like that they wouldn't. I don't know. It just seems like a 
even in the late nineties, like you would get in so much trouble for something like and what I'm watching this in, you know, 2020 eyes and I'm going, can you imagine the scandal <laughs> at the school? Like Nick, this would be all over the next door app that you follow and all that stuff. Right. People will be talking about this. Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> but, but she m- sets m- the much tone Much different time. Us. Much different time back then though. And she sets the tone for the entire movie for what we can kind of expect going forward. How well, so? If we're going to talk about faculty, though, you got to bring up uh, the the teacher, the uh, oh, Mr. Morgan. Yeah, the the too cool for the room English teacher, right? Who <laughs> yeah. who raps Shakespeare at his students because that's not stereotypical. Yeah, but he is he is kind of a fun character, though. I I I enjoyed his uh, presence on there, and especially the uh, back and forth with uh, Julia Stiles, and even when she's trying to be sincere later in the movie, he's taking it as like complete dry sarcasm and kicks her out. And I'm like, you know what? Good, kick her out. <laughs> I like too that he gives Joey crap. He's like, did she whoop your ass? Because otherwise, I don't want to hear about you weekend. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. So, you know, we kind of we, we get to this point where we realize that, um, you know, Kat's not going to go on a date. And I, I do I do have to say I love the interaction between Cameron and Patrick Verona. The first the first interaction they have when he goes to say, hey, would you like to take Kat out on a date? And he literally just holds a drill into this kid's book and you're done. And, you know, he is not going back there. I mean, this is after we've seen him butterfly knife stab a frog in biology dissection class and mm-hmm. play with the open gas flame that he's lit a cigarette on in high school. I'm like, only in the 90s could you purport that something like that would happen in a classroom still. I still don't even think that would have happened. That's one step too far. I remember kids smoking in school and everything because, you know, I, I was in high school in 99 and everything. And it was like anytime anything like that would happen, I'm like, you're, you're expelled, even though it's, it's funny to see it's, but it's like, no, that, that, that would not happen. (laughs) Well, with Miss Perky as the guidance counselor, we know he just got sent down there and she said, okay, don't do that again. Yeah. By the way, do you have another word for that? That would have been how that conversation went. What I I love about the Patrick character is that he's got like the most ridiculous reputation ever that he sold his liver on the black market for like $20 or something that he ate some, he ate a chicken or ate a duck, everything, but the beak and the feet, you know, all that, like the craziest shit that this guy come came up with, you could possibly have done and still be in school. And I don't know. I, there's something about that. That's kind of fun. And it's neat to watch Heath Ledger as a young person embody this whole too cool for the room absolutely does not care about anything character and then get sucked into this ridiculous plot the whole way it's it's kind of neat to watch though he's not bad in it he was probably the one i related most to especially you know like in high school like that would have been you know i wouldn't have been him but he would have been like out of all these character you know caricatures i would have been closest to him where it was just kind of guy who was somewhat by you know not not by himself but just kind of was like nah i'm just here until i graduate type personality so i mean i, I enjoyed him here and it's it's fun seeing heath ledger too because you know he's guy taken too soon and everything so it's it's fun to see him in one of his early roles very skinny too at that time oh yeah he really he really was he does have the one friend though the one like skinhead punk rock friend that is unnamed and just sort of disappears halfway through the movie well, that's because he loses focus, and now he's focused on uh, Julia Stiles. Right. 
Right. So the whole setup here, though, is obviously, okay, Joey, we need you to pay Patrick to take out Kat because that way you get to take out Bianca. And the whole time, Michael's like, don't worry about it. He's a douchebag. She'll see it, which he's right about. We should add that he sees that. And Cameron, then you can swoop in and you'll be the, you know, the you know, saving grace for the moment or whatever. And what I find about that is usually that kind of a plot in a movie like this would go completely sideways, right? And it would blow up in their face. But he's actually right. I think that's why it's so fun to watch the Michael character. You know, he's correspondent to somebody to play too. He knows things. And the reason that that character knows it because he knows the family much better. This guy just happens to, he's got his ear to the ground on everything. He knows what's going on. So out of all these people, he's probably the one that would end up being something uh, when it was all said and done. Because he just will keep working through it. And I appreciate the way that they tell the story of Bianca and Cameron coming together. Um, you know, they're at this party. Everybody's binge drinking because, you know, in the 90s, that's what everybody did at parties. And, um, you, you know, she sees through Joey's entire character with his posing and not really showing her any sort of a- attention. And then, you know, she's it's time for her to go home and... Her friend says, oh, well, I'll go to this other party with you, Joey. And she realizes, oh, wait, my friend's absolutely clueless, too. So they go off together and she, you know, she turns to Cameron asking for a ride home and he gives her a ride home. And I love this scene between the two of them in his car when he finally turns to her and says, you know, have you always been this selfish? Because she is this, you know, self-focused girl because she's beautiful and everybody's always given her everything. But that moment where he treats her like a person instead of property. Um, It's just so cute. And I'm going to use cute. I know, Nick, that's probably not your favorite word, but um, it's adorable. And um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I I just love him and his delivery of lines in that one section. No, but she has the best response too, though. When he lays that on her, like, if you've always been this selfish, she's just kind of like, yeah. You know, like she just owns up to it too, which I appreciate. And then she's the one that grabs him and kisses him when he's going off on her. So good on her for having some agency of her own. <laughs> I mean, that that definitely does not happen in Taming of the Shrew. Um, I could tell you because that that would not be Shakespeare's way of writing women. But uh, no, I, I like that. I thought that was good. I like the whole party though. You talk about parties in high school. Okay, I was in college at this time. I didn't even know parties like this. Like I went to frat parties and played them with my band that weren't as crazy as this one. I especially have never actually seen in person a crazy white girl get really drunk and dance on a table. Now, maybe that's just my experience and I'm willing to say that, that you know, it's a limited view, but I want to ask either of you, you ever <laughs> seen anybody like completely cut loose like that or have you done so? Yes. <laughs> I have seen it and done it. Uh, but in high school, I was the one whose mom, who um, everyone's mom talked to and said, Hey, is Johanna there? Is she doing okay? And I was like, yeah, she's fine. I'm going to give her a ride home. I promise. You know, a half hour, we'll be out of here. <laughs> I've seen it. I, I have not been that person, so thank God for that. But I have That's because I have you're seen not it. a drunk white girl. <laughs> yep. Uh, but, you know, I, not necessarily like at house parties like that, but at, but at bars and stuff, I've seen some kind of junk like that go on. So, yeah, I've seen it. It's, it's believable, especially for someone like her who probably doesn't even drink very often. And like I said, I think the whole, like, what you're supposed to take from it is – her whole like contrarian type attitude is just a front. She's not really like that. And when she gets drunk like that, it's kind of like, okay, the real side of her is coming out and that's what you're supposed to take from it. 
I yeah, mean, I mean, the, the thing that spurs her to it is that she sees Bianca sitting with Joey and that just sets her off and she starts doing shots of tequila or whatever, which, you know, that always is a decision that leads to great regret later. But not that I would know, but she <clears throat> is is funny in the way that she jumps on the table and dances. And what's funny is she got a role in another movie about, I don't know, dancing and something like that because of this. Like the director saw it was like, I must have her for this. And I'm like, she's she's doing the shake it like a white girl. OK, good. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I think the, the, the thing, the takeaway in this entire scene is um, we're finally seeing probably what she was before she said, okay, fine. I'm giving into you, Joey. I'm going to have sex with you. And what probably happened was the next day he probably went and told everybody at school. So, you know, we don't know why Bianca hasn't heard about it yet, but um, you know, that's why she, you know, she's the scorned woman. Yeah. I mean, I can totally buy that though. Bianca would have been like what a sixth or seventh grader at that point. Like nobody's going to tell her Jack and I'm sure Kat, by the way, but you know, by her own reputation, having, you know, detesticled a boy and all kinds of other things <laughs> apparently in high school when nobody goes say Jack about her <laughs> to anyone else, particularly her sister. Cause they knew what would come down. But the whole point is she's embarrassed herself to this ridiculous point and she blows Patrick off. She, what do you think do with him? And Michael finally gets the again the guy with all the ideas. You need to sacrifice yourself on the the you know, throne of dignity, man. You got to do something ridiculous. And I texted you, Irina, during this. I was like, now I know I can blame this movie for a prom proposal culture that <laughs> permeates school today. And, but you, but the, it's so good there for the, for this, this this entire football field scene with. Him crooning along to, you know, with the marching band in the background. I literally went through the last two years of high school going, wait, maybe someday somebody will do that to me. And then I realized, shit, I play in the marching band. That's not <laughs> happening. But it really was a, it, it was a feel good scene for me. I, I loved the resolution here. Um, and, you know, then they, then <clears throat> pardon me, then Kat and Patrick get to go out on this wonderful date, which involves paintball. So if it involves paintball, you know that he gets that she's got to get that aggression out. So, okay, here's where the movie turns for me. And I know it's part of the story. And I know at some point, Patrick and the Kat character do start getting along and they, they genuinely start caring about each other and they get to know each other and all this stuff. But when they start, when they do the whole like, you know, she sneaks him out of detention by flashing the Joe Asuzu teacher. And then, you know, they jump out the window and they go paddle boating together. And then they play paintballs and all that crap. Like there's something about that whole thing that I don't know, like the movie just kind of loses me. I mean, Nick, am I making sense? No, you are. And I, I agree with you. It's kind of like, it's going out a little bit too far. It's like, I don't know the whole thing, like where she's flashing the teacher. It's like, I don't know. I just thought that was a little bit much for this type of movie and to be like, okay, she's just going to walk away scot-free from that. I mean, there's got to be a little fallout. You go walk in. I mean, if I walked into a teacher's place and pulled down my pants, the cops are getting called. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if it'd be the same with her, but at the same time, it's like, I, I don't know. I just, I think it was a step too far with it. And I just think like, even them, like the whole like romance stuff, it, it really came out really, really quick. You know what I mean? Where, you know, she just can't stand them. And then like suddenly she's like totally into them and willing to do that to get them out. I, I don't know. I just, it, it felt like a bit too much. 
I'm going to disagree with you. And the reason I'm going to disagree with you is Greece was made, God, whenever Greece was made, it was made, what, 30, 40 years? Yeah. Some, something like that. It was made forever ago. And in Greece, they used the same, you know, mooning type of behavior. But, you know, I guess maybe an ass is less offensive than, than boobs in a bra. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is something that has been played in this type of humor for a while. Um, so I don't think it was too far. I think it was out of character. And I think that's why it, there's, there's a disconnect there because she could have done something completely different to get him out of detention. But, uh, for some reason, our writer thought, uh, flashing the teacher was the best option. I mean, I would have bought it more if she just would have went and pulled the fire alarm and it's like, then they all get out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it would have worked a little bit better. That, that whole scene just seems awkward, and it seems very truncated. And look, this movie's almost two hours long, so I'm not asking for it to be longer. And the studio certainly knew it couldn't be longer for its audience and such. So it didn't need to be long, and I've already talked about how long The Taming of the Shrew is. But at, at some point, like you, you have to speed this along, but it almost feels too fast. Like I needed to see them do this over two or three dates. Like This feels like the kind of connection you would build over multiple times together, not just one time out, you know? Well, I don't know. In high school, you get those crushes pretty damn fast. I guess, but I don't know that they ever crushed on each other. I mean, it's a total, I mean, it's a total scam. Why he went out here (laughs) with her to begin with. And then like, he starts to be like guilty about it. Like he's done with Joey's money. And he's like, no, no, I don't really want to go through this. And Joey's like, no, come on, man. Here's another hundred. You know, he pays him 300 bucks. I think to take her to the prom after he's already scammed him for a little bit earlier. Cause he did ride the price up on him early, but I I don't know. I just, their whole relationship again seems weird. And then it ends in such a weird note because they're sitting on her porch and he's like trying to relate to her. And then she pushes back a little bit and he does like the ultimate sin. You know, he pulls out a cigarette and she's like, ah, you know, and she throws it on the ground and walks away. And, you know, he's like, well, what am I going to do now? You know, how am I going to figure that? And that's when he goes through the whole links about, you know, I'll, I'll do anything, you know, go to the prom with me, you know, whatever. And so she, it's, it's weird, but that really leads to the discussion with her and Bianca. And that's what I want to talk about next is that scene where, Bianca's really upset that she can't date anymore. She can't go to the prom because she wants to, because Kat refuses to do anything like that. And she, you know, Kat goes to her and is like, look, can we talk? And she tells her that whole story about her and Joey and stuff. And I love Bianca's reaction to that though, too. He's like, well, that's great for you, but I don't have to live your life and I can't let you live my life for me either. I think it's nice that uh, Kat takes on almost the motherly role by kind of, you know, saying, hey, this is what happens when you go out with boys who have absolutely zero brain cells. Um, and I, th- I think we we return to the whole selfish aspect of Bianca. You know, she's kind of changed with having Cameron in her life, but she gets to this point where then all it is is uh, my popularity and about the prom and um, wanting to look pretty. No, I get what you're saying. And the fact that she is trying to live her own life and has things she wants to do now. She's trying to convey that to her sister. She's trying to convey it to her father. Good, hilarious scene when he's using the workout equipment and stuff, but he's not going to budge on it. And she just is kind of, I don't know, you know, this isn't going to happen, but she finally realizes that, or, you know, for whatever reason, cat has a change of heart and decides, okay, I'll, I'll do this. I will, I will go and, you know, I will go to the prom with, with Patrick so you can have your night of fun. And what's funny is she's accepted Joey's invitation to the prom, but Cameron's the one that comes and picks her up. 
And, you know, they have the whole little cute thing at the door. And I love, I love the dance line. Like, Hey buddy, I know every cop in town, you know, and that stuff like that. I, that was, I, I remember going out with a girl and the first time I met her father, just to mess with me, he was a park ranger and I come home and he's cleaning his 357 Magnum and like her mom and her like rolling around. I was like, please, he's never even shot. The thing. You know, and I, was, I was like, well, I, I can relate to that. I've met that dad a few times in my life. So <laughs> I always do appreciate that. My husband says, you know, when our daughter is a dating age, I'm going to stand out there with a the shotgun. But, um, you know, the, the, the interactions here uh, are made to be extra awkward um, just for, for the comedy aspect, which is great. Um, but I always question this little twist. You know, she's accepted Joey's, Joey's invitation and then Cameron comes to pick her up. Is and I don't remember off the top of my head. Is there a moment where she she informs Joey that she's rejected him? Does it? No, that that's something that has got to be cut and on the floor somewhere of the the editing room because there's no point where she says, "Okay, Cameron, you can go." Because she comes downstairs. Well, what's funny is Cat walks downstairs. Dad's on the couch watching TV, reading a magazine, whatever, and he's like, "I'm going to prom, Dad." And he's like, "That's funny," you know. And she just walks out the door, and then here comes you know Bianca in a prom dress. He's like, "What is that?" And she's like, "It's a prom dress," and he's like. Um, I'm hearing that word a lot. What's going on here? And then she starts to tell him like, there's this boy that wants to take me. He, and then he rings the doorbell and it's Cameron. And I, I don't remember a part where she told Joey, no, but clearly he thought she was going to meet him there or something. Cause that's when Joey goes ballistic at the prom. I got a question for both of you though. Nick, I want to start with you. Were either of your proms like this wicked elaborate? This is like, I don't know, like some $50,000 wedding or I don't know, some of those my 16 year old million dollar birthday things that MTV used to do. Ours was, we had a, our, our prom was really fancy. We did it at uh, like a really high end, like uh, it was like the Hilton downtown in downtown Milwaukee where it had a ballroom very much like this. So yeah, it was very, very, very similar to what was, what you were seeing here. Oh man. Ours was at a Ramada Inn. So <laughs> ours was, <laughs> ours was in a facility where they held mar uh, weddings, pardon me, wedding ceremony, pardon me, wedding receptions, proms, and Zumba classes. But again, <laughs> my class, I don't know what anybody else's graduating class was. My graduating class was under 300 kids. So we had mine a big much bigger. I, mine wasn't that much bigger, honestly. So I'll tell you what, though, the drama around prom always yeah. amuses me. I do not look forward to that shit at all. <laughs> hey, look, I, I, I'll say it now. Like, I ended up having a good time at prom. I had to go to prom because I was one of the class officers. Like, if I'd have had it my way, I'd have rolled in, done my little thing, and walked out the door. But because I had to put it all together, I figured, out ah, I'll go ahead and get dressed. And then, like a huge loser, had my ex-girlfriend go with me because I didn't think I could find anybody else. That was a huge doubt. Hey, you know that. what? I bought my dress two days before prom. So, you know, we're not always prepared for these events. <laughs> it was on clearance at JCPenney. So, you know. But <laughs> then go ahead and tell us how you were king of the prom now. No, I mean, no way. I... <laughs> I, I, I went because it was almost like expected to go on because a couple of my other friends went and that that was it. I asked out a girl. We dated for like a week later. I got bored with her and broke up. So that was basically <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. 
But you know what? They did the one thing I wish my prom had had. We had a good DJ, but the problems with live bands, I was always jealous of. Because I was like, oh, that's got to be so cool to have a live band at your prom. But you know, either way, they, they're up there jamming out the whole time, and you know, we're getting cool stuff. If you have the live band, you don't get Stairway to Heaven for what twelve minutes. We didn't get that at my prom, thankfully. So I'm just gonna <laughs> put that out there. But we did get um, the. Uh, Luther Vandross, Mariah Carey remake of the Lionel Richie and uh, uh, Diana Ross. Uh, oh, Endless Love. There Yay! we go. That was, that was our <laughs> prom song, so there we go. But no, what I love hearing all of this, though, is that, of course, Joey blows the big secret, and Patrick realizes, like, damn, I should have told her this earlier, because that's always a trope. Like, And I, I didn't realize that was like a Taming of the Shrew thing, but that gets used in all kinds of movies, right? It's, I mean, mm-hmm. Can't Buy Me Love. There's all kinds of other ones that I could think of um, that are just escaping my mind right now but where you realize somebody's gig gets up and it kind of blows their moment of happiness right when they're in the middle of it right and i'm like you had to know that was coming dude why did i mean you've had all these like honest conversations with her you've told her like i was taking care of my uncle that's why everybody thinks i murdered people went to prison you know like he's being honest and open with her why does he tell her by the way joey initially paid me to take you out but i blew all the money on the marching band thing you know with you because we do seem slip cash to the band guy so i mean if he'd have told her that she'd have probably been like huh and laughed and been no big deal but it's because joey of anybody lays that out that just ruins the whole moment for cat well i think it's not just that i think that they that at that moment everybody has a realization that joey's whole goal is to get it in with bianca and literally get it in with bianca you know he, he from the beginning of the movie we we're aware that joey just wants to bed bianca and um i i think some of that is as a as getting back at cat for you know, not coming back or not having a second chance or whatever, even though he, you know, even though he dumped her, um, I think that's his way of being vindictive, but, um, lost my train of thought. Somebody else. What I like about the way it ends up though, is Joey goes after Cameron and Bianca ends up kicking his ass, which I thought was great. I was like, yes, that that's exactly what that girl should do. Especially a girl of the 1990s. We were, I mean, we were post Buffy at that point. Like it was okay to have pretty girls beat the crap out of douchebag guys. Oh, 100%. I love the fact that she, you know, balls her fist up and, and defends Cameron, you know, at this point we, we, you know, we're able to see that there's something that's going to develop from just this, from this relationship, not just going to prom together, but that she's recognizing his value. I think it's neat though that Bianca too is becoming her own strong person and realizes her own strength. Like I had a friend in high school that was like that. She was the pretty girl and she got messed with enough that finally she did turn around and slug somebody. And it was like, okay, you wouldn't to mess with her anymore because you knew she would, she would take care of herself. And I, I don't know. I like the statement. I thought it was fun. It's cute how they kind of end up together and you know, that it, that it works out. But you know, cat storms off uh, rightfully so, right? I mean, Patrick has done wrong, so this is what he deserves, right? Yep, she has her Cinderella moment, and then he has to uh, kind of win her back. But, you know, it's funny because he he doesn't win her back. She confesses how she feels, and that's what sparks the relationship in the end. Okay, so that's what I want to ask you too. Now, what do you make about her whole pouring it into the sonnet and, you know, everything I hate about you and the fact that the thing I hate the most is that I don't hate you? I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, I I was rolling my eyes. I guess I'm just at that age right now where I'm like, teenage love, you guys are stupid. You guys are going to be, you know, you're going off to college on the East Coast. He's probably going to end up like fixing cars for a living. 
whatever. You know, you guys are probably going to be together for three weeks until he does something stupid or she finds a problem with something. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just my cynical take on it. So, I mean, it's, it's actually an adaptation of Sonnet 141, which I think is fabulous. I, I, I like the fact that that's how they end this um, turmoil. Um, and in the musical, they do something similar. There, there is, a, you know, she comes forth with a sonnet, um, much more, uh, much, pardon me, not much more, much less of the feminist perspective and, and, what she says is, uh, I am ashamed that women are so simple. And this is kind of, <laughs> this is, this is the resolution here. It's, um, I love it because it really just focuses on her true emotions and what she feels like, yeah, you know, if I break up with a guy, yeah, there are going to be those little things that I hate that I hate, but there are those like minute things that, you know, I wish you did this. I wish you did that. And if you had done that, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle with this. Like, part of me thinks, like, ah, oh, this is so cheesy, right? But in some way, it's a little earned. And I'll tell you what really sells me on it, if anything does in the scene. It's the way Heath Ledger lets that just wash over him. And really, like, for the first time in the whole movie, he really shows that he can be affected by her in a, in a way beyond just basic attraction. Like, he, he realizes, like, she's actually hurt. And I kind of hurt her. And, you know, I feel the same way. So what can I do to make this right? Well, I got a bunch of Joey's cash laying around. She was looking at a, you know, knockoff Stratocaster. I guess I could go with that. And he lays that in her front seat for her. That's his whole bit. I do love that she's like, you know, you just can't buy me off every time you screw up. (laughs) And he's like, well, there's there's the rest of the pieces of the band, too. But I don't know. I kind of felt like it was a little earned. Yeah, it's cheesy, but I expect that from this. Like, if this movie didn't have a cheesy ending, I wouldn't know what to do. Only punctuated by the fact that we get a band, Letters to Cleo, playing the cheap trick hit, I want you to want me. And I find that funny because this is a, a band doing a cover of a song that's older than most of them and most of the cast in, in, in a way that would only be acceptable in the late 1990s to do. And I'm like, it's funny that a movie like this that can only do the things that it does in the 1990s is punctuated by a band singing a song that's a cover of another song that could only be done in that style from the 1990s. <laughs> well, the 1990s was the era of the punk cover. Mind you, I will tell you that is when our other co-host Ron and I first met and I have a collection of punk covers that that guy sent me and it was the best crap ever. Uh, yeah, Ron does have a, an impressive collection of this. I was going to ask both of you, though, do you remember when ska music was the thing? Because that was the band at the prom, the ska yes. band. Yes! Yeah, thankfully that was not my high school. <laughs> no, I can sing you almost every Save Ferris band, or pardon me, Save Ferris song and Monique Powell and I our friends on Facebook. So yay. <laughs> That's how far that goes back for me. So we're at the part of the podcast where it's time for final thoughts, recommendations and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for 10 things I hate about you, Nick? Oh gosh. I'm just going to sound like a crotchety old man or something. If I give this a small popcorn, but it's not even for me. It's like, it's not small. It's not a medium. It's like a schmedium. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's the medium where they dip a, you and don't give you the whole thing. 
that's what it is. I think it's like, I don't know. It's, I'm not going to sit there and say this is a bad movie or anything like that. But for me, it's just, it's not for me. And still there. Yeah. Okay. And uh, like I said, it's just, it's a movie that's not for me. I, I can see why some people like it. My wife really likes it. I can see why, you know, it's something where you kind of grew up with and you might like it. But for me, it's just, it's, it's not my thing. You know what I mean? It's like, you're going to be giving me like caramel popcorn. It's like, I, I get it. Some people like it. I can have a couple kernels of it, but I have a handful of it and I'm ready to puke. So that's, that's. <laughs> so, right, Irene. We're, we're, we're going to go ahead and add 10 things I hate about you to the list of movies and shows that women who annoy Nick watch <laughs> because I'm going to give it a medium and I like caramel popcorn. So I'm just going to eat all of it and, you know, suck up the sicky sweet goodness of it. And, and I'm okay with that. Um, I did, I've watched it a bunch of times. I confess to having watched it multiple times every time I rented it. Um, it, it's one of those that just reminds me of, um, you know, my sophomore year in high school was a pretty good year and it, and it takes me back there. So, you know, medium popcorn, medium caramel popcorn. I'm going to give it a medium as well. I think it's fine. I, it's neat to kind of watch something that sort of transports me back to my early twenties, uh, which is, you know, a long time ago. It's double the time away from that now for me. So it's fun to go back and revisit. I, I really think the cast is what makes this work for me. And even though I don't really care for Julia Stiles, she is cast correctly in this, but everybody else in this movie's having a lot of fun and you can tell they're having a lot of fun with it. And we even talk about like Gabrielle union is sort of the vapid friend of Bianca. She's hilarious in this. There's just a lot to really enjoy and kind of go. I'm, I'm of the mind that like, this is the kind of movie that if you have it on the background, you know, you can watch 10 or 15 minutes of it and then you're good and you kind of move on. I don't know. That's why to just sit down and absorb necessarily you know, every year and make it part of your yearly watch, but it's fine. It's not great. As far as these Shakespeare adaptations go though, y'all, this is free friggin' gold. All right. I don't know if any of y'all seen any of these <laughs> other ones, but I've seen them. And I'm going to tell you, Oh, is like some melodramatic bullshit. It is bad. Get over it is bad. She's the man is horrible. Just one of the guys was horrible. And that Romeo plus Juliet bullshit is terrible. No, so like that, that's a yes, talk that, for a different time. We'll, yeah, we we'll, can talk about that some other day because we'll it was have to do that another day because that is some garbage. But this is, as far as those things go, this is pretty good, but it's still just medium popcorn. But as always, it was a lot of fun talking about it with you two here on the show. Folks, you can find archives of our podcast in your podcast feed and on our website filmstrippodcast.com please leave us a positive review wherever you find the show follow the show on twitter and instagram at filmstrippod and search filmstrip and search filmstrip podcast on facebook to connect with us there we'd appreciate it if you'd share the show and we thank you for your support so for irene and nick i'm jay thank you for listening to filmstrip thank you for listening to filmstrip you can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.